The Holy Gospel comes to us today from the book of Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Indeed, we continue in Mark chapter 1. Now Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and he taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 1, and we've been in Mark chapter 1 for a few weeks now. Mark chapter 1 is the opening chapter right out of the gate in which Mark is establishing for us exactly who Jesus is. It's establishing for us that Jesus is not just a man. He is not just a teacher, a rabbi, a prophet. He is the divine Son of God. He is God in the flesh. A couple weeks ago, we had Jesus standing there on the banks And he announces right there, as he's about to call his first few disciples, he says, the kingdom of God is near, repent and receive the good news. Last week he calls Peter, John, James, and Andrew. And in their minds they had an idea of who this was. I mean, they wouldn't just drop everything they're doing and follow Jesus if they at least didn't have an idea, a hope, a premonition in their hearts and minds as to who it it was they're about to follow. But there is absolutely no idea. Uh, I'm guessing they have no idea about what is going to happen next. They now enter down into Capernaum. They're right there on the northernmost banks of the Sea of Galilee. and, And there they are. It is the Sabbath. And the Jewish Sabbath, it is Saturday. And there they're going to enter into the synagogue and And Jesus stands up and he offers to read from the scroll. He offers to preach. It's not uncommon for any of the Jewish men of the community, any respected Jewish men of the community, could have offered to get up and read from the scroll. So when Amy sends out those messages, we need readers from time to time. Trust me, all of you are worthy and have the authority to do that. Amen? Amen, right? But on this particular day, Jesus gets up and he begins to read and teach. He begins to preach in a way that they had never heard of before. Because you see, when you were a young Jewish man about ready to read from the scrolls, as it says right here in Mark's Gospel, he read, he spoke in a way that even the scribes did not. Because whenever anyone would get up and read the scroll, when they would read from their Torah, their their ancient scriptures, they would always be referring back to the rabbis that taught them, back to the community rabbis who would teach them as children in the synagogue, but also as men. The rabbis were the authority granted to them to speak. 
And if it wasn't the rabbis that they were referring to, they were always referring back to the other minds of the community. Jesus, however, wasn't referring to anyone. Why? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. Amen? Imagine God in the flesh. Imagine that you somehow lucked out in calling God in the flesh to be your pastor. I am not he. Not any stretch of the imagination. But imagine that you gathered on a Wednesday night, and now all of a sudden a man comes in, and maybe he arranged with Pastor Craig, hey, I would like to get up, and I would, write, I would like to read from the scriptures. Imagine the message of God in the flesh speaking to you. I imagine it hit you with every single emotion in the book. And again, people start asking, who is this man who speaks to us in a way that the scribes have never, ever preached to us. And there is one man, however, in those pews, there is one person in the synagogue who absolutely knows who is speaking to them. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit, he cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus responds, be quiet and come out of him. I'm going to pause there. Take notice who knows exactly who he is, and not just by name, not just from where he comes from, but absolutely acknowledging you are the Holy One of God. Who is it? The demons. The devil himself, of course, knows exactly who Jesus is. Earlier, right out of the gates in Mark's Gospel, right after Jesus' baptism, he is thrust into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit takes him out into the wilderness where, where who is it that he's going to encounter? He's going to encounter Satan himself. He will show up and he will test. He will tempt Jesus. He will tempt him with the powers of his own word. He will tempt him with the powers of the world. He will tempt him with all the kingdoms. And in each instance, Jesus triumphs over the devil. But the devil's minions are still at work. Amen? And right here, where nonetheless is the proclamation of who Jesus is, and where are we going to find it for the first time in Mark's Gospel? In the church. Go figure. Go figure. Well, pastor, how on God's green earth would the demons, would the devils ever show up in church? Oh, dear children, why do you think the devil wants to show up in the church? To divide. To divide, to distract, to splinter, to possess, to take over. Because if you can fracture God's family, if you can fracture the children of God, if you can bring division and opportunity to weaken the body, anyone know what the word church is? It's fascinating that uh, in the Greek culture, when they were establishing this thing called church, there is the opportunity. In fact, in English, we've chosen to use two separate words to mean one of the same things. In Greek, they use the word ecclesia. Say it with me. Ecclesia. Ecclesia means church. Ecclesia also means community. Because the church is just that. It is the community of believers. It is the community of the saved. It is the community of the adopted children of God. And where does the devil show up? He shows right up within the community. In this case, right there in the Jewish community, he is there 
to split them all. You want to talk about authority? The one who just gave the sermon of all sermons, who is now acknowledged by the demons himself, he says, be still and come out. And what happens? When God speaks, something happens. Say that with me. When God speaks, something happens. The man is convulsed and the spirit comes out and there he leaves him and the man is back in his own right mind. And what is this, they answer. What is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. You see, the demon asks, are you here to destroy us? And the answer is, yes, indeed I am. Be silent, shut your mouth, and come out. And he does. He is out of the man, and there, for the moment in time, peace is brought back to that synagogue, Peace is certainly brought back into that man's life. And the danger that we live in is that we reduce Jesus, we reduce who he is, his identity, his authority, and his power to just that, just stories of a time gone in the past. I can't tell you how many times. I I love our confirmands right now. We have one of the brightest confirmation class I've worked with in my eight years. They have some of the most profound questions. And some of the questions they ask is, well, but Jesus was just a man, right? I mean, he was just Jesus, he was just God's son, right? And, and I always challenge them. I said, oh dear, oh, oh dear children, don't ever go there. Please don't go there. And, and then we get into conversations about what Jesus has taught or what he didn't teach. And I don't know how many times I've had parents, yes, you, parents, have brought to my attention, well, but pastor, you know, Jesus didn't really talk about all these things. We always talk about the sins of the world. We always talk about the the sins preached from the pulpit. But Jesus didn't talk about those sins, Pastor. Well, you know what? Jesus didn't talk about internet pornography. Not once. You're not going to find it anywhere in Scripture. But I have a good idea that God in the flesh had some feelings about it. Amen? Never once in the Bible does it talk about DUIs. But I have a pretty good idea that God is pretty clear on what happens to a family in the relationships when the alcoholism or drug addiction takes hold of a family. Amen? Amen. The voice of a child. God doesn't talk a whole lot about a lot of things. Jesus doesn't talk a whole lot about a, a lot of specific sins because, you see, God in the flesh wasn't interested in calling out particular sins. Jesus, God in the flesh, was very particular in calling out the brokenness of all of humanity and all of our sin, and then not only just to acknowledge our sin, but to come in the correction, the hope, the desire to be made new. You see, Jesus, when he was standing in the synagogue there in Capernaum that day, I stood in the same foundational structure of that synagogue in Capernaum when I was in Israel as well. Beautiful place overlooking the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus was standing there preaching and calling that demon out, when he was exerting his authority and they were hearing it and literally witnessing it, Jesus was not giving his opinion. He was not giving the opinion based on someone else's teaching. He wasn't just giving an opinion. He was giving God's authority. And we will see that time and again. 
as our Lenten season approaches, which, by the way, starts in just two weeks, believe it or not. Ash Wednesday is two weeks from now, in which we come down and we are marked with that cross of Christ. But instead of an anointing oil that we do in our baptism, it's with ash because we are reminded that we are part of God's creation. From dust we, will cre- we are created, to dust we shall return. As this Lenten journey approaches, we're going to hear about Christ's authority time and again. When Jesus comes in, in our text tonight, when Jesus enters into Peter and Andrew's house, they're going to approach, and there is Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She is ill, she is on her deathbed, and what does he do? He touches her, he prays, and instantly she's healed. There will be a young girl who is already deceased and the family will come and beg for Jesus to come and he will look at this girl, he will grab her by the hand and he will say, awake child, and she will come to life. Is that authority? That is authority. He will look outside, he will stand outside of Lazarus' tomb and Lazarus who has been dead for four days, he will say, Lazarus, come out of that tomb and he will get up and he will walk. That is authority. And when Jesus is standing on the helm of the boat, as his disciples in a tragic storm, as they are trembling in fear, and Jesus will stand there, he will look at the fear in their faces, he will look at the storm around him, and he will say, be still. And even the weather bows to his command. Christ has authority in every aspect of God's creation because he is God. So brothers and sisters in Christ, We too have our demons. And yes, I do believe that demons truly exist. We have historical documentation of it all throughout the world. And for some, it's a literal thing. For others, it's a metaphorical thing. But our sins, our brokenness, the darkness that we continue to wrestle with over and over and over again, the demons we wrestle with over and again, God has authority in our life, and that authority has already been granted to you. That's why I know you hear me say it almost every single week. In our baptism, the promise that we're given is that your original sin is washed clean. Every time we come to the table, you are reminded you are forgiven. At the end, at the beginning of every single worship, we get up and we confess. Why? So you can be reminded the words that God's authority was given to pastors and to all of you Christians who also have the authority to look at a brother or sister, a coworker, a friend, and say, Your demon doesn't have to define you. Your identity is not rooted in that thing that haunts you. Your identity is in Christ alone. It's an invitation. It's a hope. And it's a victory that only the authority of Christ can declare in our lives. And he has declared it for you. So thanks be to God. Amen.